0: Good morning. Today is the day. It's the day the Lord has made, like every other day, and yet unlike every other day, because today is, well, today. Today is the only day that will ever be today, because by tomorrow, today will be yesterday. Is that? I think I'm right about that. Okay, so you're hurting my brain. (laughs) I know. It's kind of early in the morning. Yes, exactly. such deep thoughts. That's Paul Perot. He is the one who makes all of the magic of this radio show happen. So we are grateful. Uh, to God for Paul today. It is the 23rd day of December, making it also this year the 23rd day of Advent. So we are in the Word of God at Luke chapter 23. Today's also the first full day of Hanukkah. Hanukkah started uh, for our Jewish brothers and sisters last night um, at a sunset. And so I thought I would spend one minute talking, uh, reminding us what Hanukkah is all about, because Hanukkah is certainly Something that um, would have been a part of the celebratory life of um, of those uh, of people who we think of as biblical right okay so it 's a Jewish festival it commemorates the rededication of the second temple in Jerusalem at the time of the Maccabean revolt, so we are talking here um, about the temple that Jesus would have visited um, it 's the temple in Jerusalem. This is the second temple. So this is the temple in which Mary and Joseph would have presented Jesus. Um, and that's where we get the story uh, of the encounter um, with, oh gosh, Anna comes to mind, um, Simeon and Anna. Uh, and then it's also, this is also the temple where Jesus as a boy remains behind. Uh, his parents have taken him along to visit Jerusalem for one of, the, of their high holy days. And Jesus remains behind um, and they, they're th- they three days on their way home. Um, you know, you got to remember that uh, they're traveling with large groups of people, extended family. Um, Jesus is of an age where, you know, he's hanging out with his friends maybe, uh, and they get home to discover, oh, no, he was not with the group all along. So they go all the way back to Jerusalem to find him where? In his father's house, which would be this second temple, this temple in Jerusalem. And so the rededication of this second temple is what is celebrated at Hanukkah. It's also known as the Festival of Lights. You might be most familiar with the menorah, the nine candles, the eight candles um, that run astride of the candle at the center. That candle at the center is known as the attendant, uh, and that is um, is an acknowledgement that the light of God does break into the world. Does that sound familiar? Well, of course it does. All right, so we are talking here about um, Jewish not just traditions, but celebrations and images like light and like candles that pervade uh, Christmas as well and the Christmas story. Certainly this is operating in John's mind as he is writing uh, the first chapter of his gospel. So we are in on this 23rd day of Advent. We are in Luke chapter 23, and um, today is the day that we attend to this mockery of Jesus by the crowd, where they select Barabbas over Jesus. Um, This is where we attend to uh, the mockery that Jesus experienced, the being stripped of his garments, um, beaten. This is where we uh, attend and witness Jesus being crucified between two criminals on a cross. This is where we um, attend to darkness that comes over the whole land at about noon until three in the afternoon the sun literally stopped shining the curtain of the temple torn in two from top to bottom and jesus cries out in a loud voice father into your hands i commit my spirit and when he had said this he breathed his last this is the passage of scripture in which we attend to the statement of faith by the centurion the centurion seeing what had happened praised god and said surely this was a righteous man and when all the people who had gathered to witness the sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. And all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. This is where we, um, we see Joseph, a member of the council, good and upright man is the way Luke describes him, um, going to Pilate and asking for Jesus's body and taking it down and, um, and having it placed in his own new tomb. The 23rd chapter of the Gospel of Luke doesn't seem very Christmassy, but the 23rd chapter of the Gospel of Luke is the reason for which the Christ child comes. We really can't understand Christmas if we don't know why Jesus came in human flesh to dwell among us full of grace and truth, a Savior who came to die. So we're going to pick up after the break in a conversation about something that is not only burning up conversations among Christians— but uh, it has been a topic of conversation across secular media now for three days. When was the last time an an intensely Christian conversation took place in public on uh, on every secular news outlet? Well, Christianity Today's editorial that came out at the end of last week is doing just that. We're going to discuss it when we come back. So at the end of last week, Christianity Today published an editorial by outgoing or retiring, maybe is the right word, um, Editor-in-Chief Mark Galley. Mark has recently actually been here on the program. We've also recently had the brand-new president of Christianity Today, um, Tim Dalrymple, on the show as well. Um, And so, you know, I'll just go ahead and disclose. I mean, I'm a CT subscriber. I read CT. Um, I know what it is. I know the people involved. And um, it's interesting to me that an editorial um, by basically a Christian news magazine, it's not surprising to me that like the tiny percentage of Christians who um, think deeply about these things, it's not surprising to me that that percentage of the population would be talking about this. It is a little surprising to me that it literally um, was covered pillar to post by every secular news outlet over the weekend. Um, And and I'm a little surprised by that. And and I'm kind of hard to surprise at this stage of the game. So uh, I am always mindful when the secular world um, smells blood in the in the water among Christians. You know, they're not they're not actually looking for the blood of Jesus. They're looking for the ways in which evangelical Christians are devouring one another. And they saw a feeding frenzy over the weekend and they are continuing to um, chum the water of that feeding frenzy by platforming. What I would describe as evangelicals, whose primary point of disagreement is uh, the moral behavior and defending defending as moral the behavior of the current president of the United States, and so um, you need to know about this because this is a topic of conversation. And if you are an evangel and and, excuse me, if you are an evangelical Christian, today's the day when you're going to have to define what that means for you. And you're going to have to define what that means to others. Um, And here's why, because I've read over the weekend testimonies of non-believers, particularly younger non-believers, who have been sending the CT editorial via link, you know, uh, on text messages or emails or on their Facebook posts, to their quote-unquote evangelical aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents, parents, okay? So the reason that we have to talk about this is not so that we line up on one side of President Trump or the other. That, that is not the point of this exercise. The point of this exercise is in order that we can understand what it means to be an, an evangelical Christian, who the evangelist, what the gospel is, and why in the world we are in the world in this very moment. Because this is kind of a hard moment to be an evangelical Christian, to wear that label. Um, And in an era when the entire culture really enjoys um, taking stabs at every evangelical Christian, isn't it interesting that they're taking particular joy in our division? Why is that? (laughs) Uh, Because they're hoping that divided, we will fall. And here's the reality. The gospel upon which we stand, the Christ unto whom we are called and whom alone we, we worship and serve. Uh, he, he's not divided over this. Jesus' mind is not divided. His heart is not divided. The gospel is not divided. And so any time that the world seeks to foment division, particularly among evangelical Christians, we have to remind ourselves what in the world we're really in the world to do. And it is not to defend anyone in a particular position of political leadership. It is to be faithful to the one who took on human flesh, dwelt among us in order to die as an atoning sacrifice for us. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And so although um, I recognize everyone is tempted, in fact, in fact, you should see the list, the list. Won't you sign this list? Won't you sign this list? Which side of this are you going to line up on? Carmen, will you write about this on this side? Carmen, will you write about this on the other side? No, mm-mm, no, I won't. I'm not I'm not signing your list, and um, and I'm not, and I'm not writing an opinion piece on this topic. I'm proclaiming Jesus, 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 Jesus. Um, and some of you may say, well, that's not, uh, that's not very morally, um, courageous. So, uh. If you've listened long, you you probably know uh, where I stand on these matters and and how concerned I am about the truth and that the truth be told and how concerned I am when people lie, particularly publicly, and then how concerned I am when Christians defend those who lie, particularly publicly. Um, I, I'm concerned about these things, but I'm not worried. I'm concerned about these things, but I'm not worried. I'm not wringing my hands. Um, I, I I'm not. Uh, uh, the sky is not falling, and God is not dethroned. He's not surprised by any of this. It's not as if God is trying to oh hatch a plan because uh, uh, you know Houston we have a problem in America. God knows we have a problem in America, and God knows exactly what our problem is. Our problem is is individual self interest and collective delusion. Right we have We have traded the truth about God that we know for lots and lots and lots of lies. and so um there are people who have who have written with wonderful uh, wonderfully lucid thoughts about what's going on here. I think that David French, writing uh, it's called the French press uh, on a website called The Dispatch, I think he hits the proverbial nail on the head. Um, he says the heart of the church is torn. Many of the faithful, especially those middle-aged and younger who show up to worship services every week, who perform the lion's share of the ministry and the work of the church and who are most likely to interact with non-Christians at work and in school, they see the cost of the Trump alliance, and they despair. The heart of the church is torn. He goes on to say, in that context, each public Christian voice who declares he or she is not afraid to face a future without Trump... And that there's a spiritual aspect to political choices that can't be measured in statute books or judicial nominations, encourages other Christians who share the same concerns. So, um, what we're trying to do is shift the terms of the debate. Um, we're trying to decrease the perceived isolation of evangelical Christians, particularly those of us who are white, who have been um, painted into a corner uh, over the last few years in terms of. Um, the Proclamation of the Gospel for the salvation of humankind that's what it means to be to be evangelical it's not just a set of beliefs it's an action that influences how others see and think and respond to God in Jesus Christ so yes evangelical has an actual definition there are actual like standards of belief for evangelical Christians but there's also an action and it's about being a disciple who reproduces disciples who reproduce. So um, we're going we're gonna to shift gears here in just a moment when we come back from the break, but just consider for a moment, what is your operating definition of what it means to be evangelical? And if your answer is primarily political and American, um, I'm going to invite you to rethink what it means to be an evangelical today based on the gospel. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Oh. Indeed, all glory be to Christ the King. All glory be to Christ. Um, So we're talking a little bit today about evangelical or evangelical dividing lines. And um, so part of what the world wants to do is to say that Donald Trump is the new dividing line among evangelical Christians. Last week, by the way, or the week before, or the week before that, the dividing line among evangelicals was um, probably and probably will be again. human sexuality, sexual orientation, gender identity. I think that's a really, really significant dividing line because that's about your view of scripture. That's about your view of creation. That's about your view of complementarian marriage. That's about your view of family. That's about your view of um, of identity. It's uh, So I think we will get back to the place where There is a really significant dividing line among Christians, and it's related to sexual orientation, gender identity in this generation, because there's so much confusion and delusion on that topic. Today, the world would very much like to uh, force evangelicals to line up on one side of Donald Trump or the other and say that Trump is the dividing line. Trump is the issue. So I think today's a good day to remind ourselves of a few things. Um... I think it's a good day for us to remind ourselves of the exclusivity of Jesus Christ as Savior and to be really, really clear about who he is and why he came and what he has done and how um, all of human history is, is a part of this redemptive arc of God's unfolding will. Because that gives us a little perspective on our own momentary fleeting lives. So let's not think of ourselves today uh, more highly than we ought. We are like dust. I'm not saying that to be a discouragement. I'm saying that to remind us to put things in, in, in perspective in terms of our place in history and this moment in time, which is a vapor. It's a vapor. Even our nation, like it's a vapor. Nations rise and fall. The kingdom of God is forever forever. And so my encouragement today is to think about the five solas of the Reformation. Let's get ourselves uh, back on some firm footing, um, you know, of, of Scripture alone and Christ alone and faith alone and grace alone and the and, and the glory of God alone. Let's get our, get ourselves uh, sort of reestablished there with some firm footing, and let's remember that it's really all about Jesus, all of it. It's all about Jesus. And who is He? What's one way of thinking about Him? Well, one way you could think about him today is he's the way and the truth and the life. So any other way but Jesus is not the way. Any other truth but the truth of who Jesus is and uh, and what he has come to accomplish and what that means for us right now and what it means for all eternity. Like any truth that departs from that truth is a lie and it's a lie of the liar. Who who comes to do what? To kill and to steal and destroy. And the debates that we are currently having are pretty destructive. So um, Jesus is the one who comes to give us life. And so my encouragement today um, is to just be, first of all, to be encouraged in Christ and to be an encouragement in Christ. And to ask yourself, in terms of evaluating your own, um, I mean, I'm going to continue to call myself an, an evangelical Christian because I am. Well, by what definition? Well, by the definition of the gospel. I am defined by a gospel relationship with Jesus Christ, and I am defined um, by sharing the good news of that gospel with others in order that not only might faith be reproduced in another person, but that then they too might turn and, and share the great good news of the gospel that indeed salvation has come in a person for you today. That salvation is not, not Donald Trump. I mean, he's doing some great things. I'm not denying that. But salvation is not in anybody other than Jesus Christ. He's the firm foundation upon which we build our lives. He's the anchor of our souls. He's our hope of salvation. He's the operating system of our minds. Um, he is the one to whose character we are by, mo- by moment by moment in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. We are being conformed more and more into his likeness. That's that's what the, you know, that's we talk about being gospel people. We talk about being evangelical Christians. We are, what we're talking about is having the gospel live in us so fully that it cannot help but just come out like it's going to it's going to flow. People are going to experience us as they would experience Christ. That's the idea that we would represent Christ in thought, word, and deed, in conversations, in the way that we behold people and hold them. Okay, I know. Sometimes I get kind of excited about what I'm doing. I'm excited about what you're going to have the opportunity to do today as well. And that is represent Christ to one other person. You are going to be the Christ that somebody experiences today. And you're going to be able to say to them, hey, that baby in the manger is also the guy that dies on the cross. He's also the guy that we celebrate in resurrection, not only on Easter morning, but every Sunday morning when we as Christians gather together to glorify God. Um, do you want to know more? Can I tell you more? You got time for a cup of coffee? Let me, let, let's sit down and let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about this babe in the manger. The crucified Christ, the risen Son of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and the one who animates my life by his Holy Spirit right now. could we talk about that? Friends, we got to take a quick break. Um, when we come back, Ruth Kramer is going to be here. She and I are going to talk about some sobering stories from around the globe, what our brothers and sisters in Christ are experiencing. Uh, we're going to start in Lebanon, but we're also going to make a visit in Iraq and Sudan. That conversation is up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you uh, to those of you replying via email and those of you uh, letting me know on ZipWhip what you are thinking about today in regards to these things and many other things. You can always email me, Carmen, at MyFaithRadio.com. You can communicate during the show via the text line 877 933 Many of you obviously already have that, like, plugged into your phone. So uh, I appreciate that. There is much going on around the world in relationship to um, Christians and the experience of our brothers and sisters in Christ with whom we're going to spend eternity. Um, we're going to turn our attention to those things with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. We're going to lead off in Lebanon and, uh, and then make a visit in Iraq and one in Sudan. That's up next here on Mornings with Carbon.
1: Christmas is the season to give and forgive.
0: And it all started when God, the greatest giver, gave his only begotten
1: son. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. When Jesus came to earth as a baby, he ushered in a new age of hope and reconciliation. And though we didn't deserve it, Christ's sacrifice on the cross made it possible to restore our relationship with God, our Heavenly Father. So if peace on earth and goodwill to men are far from your home this Christmas, let your team know that you'll always pursue a relationship with them. There's no better time to follow Christ's example and offer a son or daughter God-like, undeserved reconciliation. Make sure your child knows God's thumbprint is on his life. Learn how to get your team back on track. Get instant access to Mark's free parenting course online at freeparentingcourse.com.
0: To boldly go where no one has gone before. Joining me again this morning, Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can read everything we're talking about today at MNN. That stands for Mission Network News, MNN online.org. Ruth, welcome back. Thank you so much. It feels like it's been forever. I know. I, it does feel like it has been quite a long time. Um, so uh, topping your list today is Lebanon. Why don't you bring people up to date on what's happening um, in that most really, criti- really critical um, nation in the Middle East in terms of uh, the Christian witness?
1: Yeah, well, one of the things that I just kind of want to bring up here is that Christianity is very much out in the open in Lebanon. So um, what we're hearing is coming from a lot of our partners who have uh, a lot of investment and work uh, in the region right now. And, And Lebanon is one of those countries that is one of the gateway countries. So they're also dealing with the Syrian refugee crisis, about a third of the population of Lebanon right now. Are Syrian refugees. So just kind of get that in your mind about how big the country actually is and the kind of crisis they were facing with the economic situation. Now you add a refugee crisis on top of it. And that kind of led to people being fed up about how the government was uh, treating the resources of the country, um, having a, an economic crisis uh, when they they really we're kind of in the most fertile area of the region uh, is frustrating people. So that's what led to the, uh, the demonstrations, which have been going since like mid-October. Um, and it went from one issue and morphed into let's just start over with a whole new government. Let's fire everybody, get everybody out of office and start over because we need to get politicians in place who can govern us without having to deal with the corruption because corruption is so rampant in the system that pretty much anybody that you talk to in Lebanon will just say, well, it's the corrupt politicians. I think you you hear that across the board anyway. Um, But in this situation, uh, the Lebanese have kind of taken it to another level. Now, the prime minister did resign as a result of the protests and they did get violence not too long ago. Up until probably last week, um, the protests, while they involved hundreds of thousands of people, were largely peaceful. And um, there were a lot of situations where you had believers on the ground who were just really excited about what felt like um, some movement taking place. The government was listening. People were responding. And then last week, uh, things got a little bit violent because it, it uh, a sectarian element was introduced. So you had the Sunni and the Shia that were clashing, Uh, In Lebanon. And as a result of those clashes, you had the government security forces that came in and things got really ugly. Um, That sort of settled down because the political end started moving and they were trying to find a new prime minister to put into place. Now, according to what Lebanon's governance requires, the new prime minister has to come from the Sunni community. The person that they have actually picked to be the prime, uh, prime minister designate comes from um, let's just say he has the backing of Hezbollah. He has the backing of the Shiites. Um, he's allegedly kind of a a nonpartisan. But um, when you see just the Shia backing him and the Sunni rejecting him, you don't know how much benefit has actually—how um, uh, much how much progress has been made in solving the problems. The concern is that they're going to go backwards into the conditions that led to the Civil War between 1975 and 1990. So our partners are talking about that. At the same time, what has emerged is a unified body of Christ. Um, A prayer movement rose up probably two years ago. Where Lebanese believers were praying that God would shake the nation and that the desire of the nations would come forth as Christ, Um, and so right now the Lebanese Christians are really excited about what's happening, in spite of the fact you've got these demonstrations and some instability in the country. They're excited because what they see happening and in movement with the different politicians uh, and people being exposed for corruption, they're seeing this as an answer to God's prayer, uh, to their prayer. Uh, for change and that God is shaking the nation and that people, because they're so uncertain about what's happening, they're coming to the churches, they're coming to believers, seeking them out and saying, tell me more about why you're so stable in a time when there's so much uncertainty. Please share with me this message of hope that you have. And so what you're seeing is even like the cultural Christians who are not people that we would say uh, live in a Christian worldview, but live in a cultural identity are now coming to church and saying, we don't understand what's happening here. We know that the believers are united. Um, what is it that you're that that is so different about you? And what's really cool is that there is a coalition of ministries in Lebanon that has gotten together and planted a prayer tent right in the middle of all of these demonstrations, right in the town square in front of the parliament building. And it's just a 24-hour uh, prayer initiative. It started as just a group of people meeting together for prayer. They've got banners around this tent, and then it turned into like a twenty four seven prayer movement. I'm going to call it a prayer furnace because it's staffed twenty four hours a day with people praying for change in Lebanon. I mean, that is just really cool. It's hard to not. Cool. It, it's hard to be discouraged when you're seeing this and and. All of these things that are happening are encouraging believers to pray in extreme confidence because what they see is God answering.
0: I love the um, the prayers they're pl- they're praying like uh, Haggai two seven. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. Like they are praying really specific uh, scriptures in the midst of all of this, um, and they're praying trusting. That God is moving. I mean, they they talk about this as God really shaking things up and this being a a genuinely pivotal moment. Um, Let's uh, let's transition and let's talk about what's going
1: on in Iraq. Well, Iraq is facing some similar difficulties. Um, back when their protests started, it was also dealing with the corruption. It started with one thing and it morphed into another. And now there's a call for general change in the government. Um, what we have seen here is that the prime minister stepped down and the the Government of Iraq is still in um more of a state of flux than what we're seeing in lebanon um and the situation there is again who's going to replace prime minister it's uh uh how do we know that these politicians are not going to be the same um as what we've had before um and so their call for change is actually creating kind of this um this rise of I don't want to say nationalism because that carries some weird connotations with it, but pride in their country is, is a good way to put it. And believers feel very connected to what is happening in Iraq because they feel like they're they're in on the ground level of some new things that are happening. That said, um, because of the issues that have come up with these protests in Iraq, um, the, a lot of the churches in Iraq have decided to um, either postpone or cancel their Christmas celebrations to be in solidarity with the protest victims, um, because 400 people have died in the Iraqi protests. Um, and what they want to say is they are standing alongside those who are de- who are re- demanding change of a government. They, they, they are standing alongside those who are calling to account the people that were entrusted with the governance of their country. Um, And some of it is a security situation, too, because with things so wild and woolly right now in Iraq, um, it is going to be difficult for people to get together in large numbers uh, like that with a focus on what it needs to be, which is the birth of Christ. So Mm -hmm. Advent has been very, very different in places like uh, Lebanon and Iraq because there's so much upheaval going on right now. So our partners are just asking you, us as the body of Christ to be praying alongside them, that they would be wise in how they choose to participate in these protests, in these calls to accounting uh, for change, and that they would be ready to step in when the door opens. So, uh,
0: another one little other Christmas Eve headline before Ruth Kramer and I uh, take a quick break. Um, let's be praying also for um, folks in in places where, for the first time in many, many years, there's not going to be any Christmas services. Um, one of those places is the Notre Dame Cathedral. For the first time in 200 years, there will be no Christmas services um, at the cathedral. Just Let's just be mindful of the witness and testimony of churches in our communities, um, particularly those where— you know, frankly, a lot of people go at Christmas and or Easter and they don't visit any other time. Um, let, let's just be mindful of that. Let's be mindful of what we're offering people because what they need is hope. And they're still coming to church to find it. Ruth Kramer and I will be back in just a moment. We're going to pivot our attention to the Sudan. I'm talking with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can read everything we're talking about today at MNNOnline.org. Oh. Talking with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News, she is sharing with us what our Christian brothers and sisters around the world are experiencing right now, and we are turning our attention to the Sudan. You can read uh, about more about what we're talking about today at mnnonline.org. Ruth, take us to the Sudan.
1: Again, this is one of those situations where I think a year ago, if you would have said anything or tried to describe any situation like this and ask a Sudanese national, is this possible in your country, they would have said no. So it's been a 30-year dictatorship under Omar al-Bashir, and Sudan has become uh, well known for its persecution of the body of Christ. Now, since Omar uh, al-Bashir took power, his main thrust has been to change Sudan, into an Islamic state. So everything, the whole uh, legal code was changed to allow the strict enforcement of Islamic laws and to allow um, the apostasy and blasphemy laws to be uh, generously enforced uh, throughout the country. And some of that is also what led to the desire to separate South Sudan from Sudan. I mean, there's a resource kind of an argument there, too. But a lot of what was happening between... Uh, sudan and its christians or its its culturally christian population uh led to the 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 rise of um the secession of south sudan from sudan fast forward to now and you've got massive demonstrations uh throughout the course of this year that led to Omar al-Bashir uh being deposed in a coup by the Sudanese Armed Forces. So where we are right now is a situation where there's uh, a new government being formed, um, where you've had some really amazing things happening with constitutional declarations that no longer references um, Islam as the primary source of law. There are changes in apostasy and blasphemy laws. The government officials have already met with the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom to report on some of those changes. So these things are huge events that are shifting in Sudan, and there's a lot of believers who are praising God for the answers to prayer. Um, there's there are some questions about that, and I, I think you were going to ask me a question because it sounded like I cut you off right when you were taking a breath to ask a question.
0: Oh no, you're okay. I I um the the distinction between um. Between the different parts of Sudan, I always think is really important to clarify because sometimes when we read headlines, we forget that there are two countries and they are very different. So I was
1: just appreciating that you were illuminating that at that point in the conversation. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, and, and we do want to make sure that people understand that South Sudan is a separate country. They fought for the republic. They fought for their freedom and independence. Um, and unfortunately, even though it came into being with a lot of hope, uh, they haven't resolved those conflicts that led to some other issues um, in, in forming a new government and and whatever it is. The country is not doing well. Now, we're back to Sudan, where you have um, the prime minister who's met with the USCIRF. We've heard about these wonderful changes. And my question to the person that I was talking to, he's hes a Christian worker that is closely involved with believers in the uh, church network that exists in and out of Sudan. Um, what I said was, well, how do you know that this new government who's who's invited the, the church leadership to join them and be helping uh, form this new government in Sudan. how do you know they're not being invited just so they can be identified mm-hmm. so that they can be um, targeted later for removal? How do we know that we can trust these guys? And Ken, that's what we're calling him, Ken said, you don't, but you have an opportunity that has not ever been presented before. And our church leadership has to walk through that door. Um, so they have to be praying wisdom so and and integrity and all of those things so that they're aware of the potential falls of potential danger and risk of overexposure for other people. But he also pointed out this, the, the reason that the government has been able to reach out to these Christian leaders is because they've all been arrested. They've all been in jail. They've all been persecuted. At some point, the government already knows who they are. And they the reason they were identified as such is because the government was trying to stop them because they were so effective in ministry. So the question of... You know, are they being called out so they can be identified? Not really. Um, Can you trust this government? And Ken also says, well, not really, because this is the same government that has ruled under Omar al Bashir. These are the same people that were uh, tasked with enforcing all of those laws that persecuted the body of Christ in Sudan. Uh, Now they're flipping on the other side of things and they're trying to. open doors to, to dialogue and, and invite Christians to be part of this new bodybuilding of the new government. Um, and they're ticking all the right boxes so that they can um, maybe get sanctions loosened a little bit because they talk to the USCRF and the USCIRF connects with the State Department and makes those recommendations on the International Religious Freedom Report that does have impact on whether we impose sanctions, or whether we loosen them. And as you know, Sudan, because of its issues, the United States has targeted Sudan with some very, very heavy sanctions. So this could be one of those issues. Do we know that for sure? No. But that's why Ken is asking us to join in prayer for the body of Christ in Sudan, for the leadership in the body of Christ in Sudan. So as they walk this this through the door of this opportunity to be part of the formation of the new government, um, that they are wise, that they are given supernatural wisdom to avoid the traps and the pitfalls, and yet that they will be able to help steer this country in a new direction.
0: Amen. Um, Ruth, we will certainly be praying uh, with and for you and Ken uh, in in precisely that way. I uh, me remind everybody you can find resources related to these conversations as well as others at MNN Online. Ruth Kramer, Merry Christmas. We will talk with you again in the new year. I'm looking forward to it. Likewise. We'll be right back. So one of the uh, conversations that you might want to consider today is what happens in modern-day Bethlehem. So one of the reasons that we turn our attention to what's happening in places around the world is so that we do not become overly consumed with what's happening Um, in what feels like the immediately urgent right in front of us here in the United States of America. Having a global perspective um, as Christians is essential because God is as concerned about people everywhere around the globe today as he is concerned about each and every one of us. So let's, uh, let's be mindful today of the concerns of those around the globe. Let's be mindful of the circumstances in which other Christians are living in other contexts under very oppressive governments um, and without the kinds of freedoms that we enjoy here in the United States. So let's celebrate our freedoms, and then let's also be mindful that they are not shared by others. Um, and and there's, a, there's a heart of advocacy for that as well. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be back with another hour in just a moment. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app.